I'm Brian Hu. I'm Ada Singh. And welcome to Saturday School. When your friends are watching Saturday morning cartoons, you're being forced to learn Asian American pop culture history. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Saturday School. This is our season on Asian Americans in Asia. And for this episode, we're kind of, in some ways, going back to the beginning because we started with the film A Great Wall, which was about a Chinese-American family from the 80s going back to China for the first time. And today, we're going to be looking at the 2012 film Shanghai Calling, about a Chinese-American man being sent to Shanghai for business. We thought it would be fun to compare the two. Yeah. And actually, in revisiting these films, they do also show that so much of the representation of Asian Americans in Asia has a lot to do with changing geopolitics. And how in the 1980s, it was the issue of the opening of China meant a lot of questions about what could be there and then certain kinds of stereotypes about is China still backwards or whatever it is. And then now in the contemporary, in the 21st century, it's like we know China's the future and that's where the opportunities are. In A Great Wall, the dad goes back to China because... This is like reluctantly the only opportunity he has to maybe be seen as a whole human being. And in Shanghai Calling, it's it's kind of the same thing, except China just represents not a final option, but the first option and the best option. The entire world knows it. And that kind of puts the Chinese American in a different kind of situation with different kinds of opportunities. The biggest change is China. We kind of joked in the first episode that when we watched it, the China they portray seemed really dated, but the Chinese-American experience seemed quite similar. Yeah. <laughs> like it hadn't yeah. changed that much. You really, really see that with Shanghai Calling because the title character, Sam Chow, played by Daniel Henney, he kind of has similar views of China, the Chinese-Americans in A Great Wall had, you know, except for when the characters from A Great Wall go to China, they do feel a little bit superior in the sense that they have more modern clothing, they have they have stuff to teach their Chinese family, um, and vice versa, too. Yeah. But in Shanghai Calling, in some ways, it's all about the Chinese American getting his ass handed to him. Yeah, it's like he has much more to learn about them than they have to learn about him. It's kind of fun in that way because Daniel Henney's character is this fairly successful lawyer. He's trying to make partner. He thinks he's going to get partner because he's fairly, he's pretty cocky. He's actually not that likable of a character. It's just that Daniel Henney is so good looking that you probably forgive him more than you should. <laughs> I think you're 100% right about that Like, because we like him a lot. <laughs> It's a really interesting setup because the Chinese-American characters in A Great Wall kind of start vulnerable. They're much more sympathetic. And Sam Chow's character is kind of a dick. Like, he's very full of himself. He thinks he's the one who can, like, save everything. He thinks he knows everything. He doesn't treat his subordinates very well. It's just all about the prize. And right now his prize is making partner, except for there's like a little bit of a setback because before they make him partner, they have an assignment for somebody in China. And of course they send him because he's Chinese American, even though he knows nothing about China, doesn't know the language, really rejects it yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, but he goes to Shanghai like, hey, I know what to do. I'm going to teach these Chinese people how to do it my way. And in some ways, it's like the whole movie is watching him fail because he obviously doesn't know what he's doing. 
Yeah, I mean, and he learns to be humbled. Let me guess, you only moved here because someone offered you a big promotion. I've seen your type before. My type? This is the new land of opportunity, Sam. Ever since relocating to Shanghai, I've just fallen in love with Chinese culture. I know what you mean. I really treasure my heritage. There's leaves in my tea. That's how I drink it. For him to be able to tap into that knowledge and that support, he needs to learn how to navigate the various kinds of scenes and communities that are in Shanghai. So the film kind of reveals that there's not just one Shanghai. I think A Great Wall makes it seem like China is this, we can define it this way, and this is the China we have to reckon with. Whereas Shanghai Calling really shows that there's so many overlapping communities in a place, just in one city in Shanghai. There's the expat community, there's like the legal community, there's like these interns and like subordinates who kind of work with their own mindset. There are these mysterious shadowy figures like Awesome Wong. He has to realize that part of his own inability to navigate that world is not realizing that there are different kinds of ways to work in China. And then by that extension, like he has to learn what is his way going to be. And that's what it's going to take to succeed. The movie's set up where like, the characters that do know more than him are a little bit unexpected. The relocation specialist is this white girl who obviously knows more about China than he does because she's lived there. Everyone's not what you expect. I don't want to just completely attribute that to this being an Asian American perspective but I feel like Asian Americans get that immediately mm-hmm. like when you go to Shanghai or to Asia like you immediately know it's not just us and them because we already occupy this strange in between like I'm neither but both mm-hmm. so maybe you just become a little bit more attuned to the fact that on the ground there's just a lot of different kinds of people who are here for different kinds of reasons and um, then they're probably thinking that of you too who are you and where do you fit in that's kind of what he has to figure out like this community of American expats like why are you here Are you here to take advantage of Chinese people? Or do you have a certain kind of, like, what is your connection to China? We got a problem. He signed another license agreement with some local manufacturer. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He he can't do that. We're looking at billions in damages. Fix this. I will make sure this stink follows you for the rest of your career. No, no, no. And for us, it's sort of like, I think we think we know what Daniel Henry's character is here to do. And... He's going to surprise us. Yeah. And this movie has great language jokes. Like the funny moments when, because he doesn't understand Chinese or doesn't understand how communication is happening, that he gets in all kinds of silly, avoidable problems. He's shown up often because of his inability to know language. In a normal Hollywood film, like a fish out of water kind of movie, like if it was just some guy going to China and then like being confused about it, I think we would be rather annoyed. But there's something about the way Daniel Henney plays it not just because it's Daniel Henning and we love him, but <laughs> because there's like a fragility involved that we can empathize with. A sense of like, we can try all we want to think we know what we're doing, but deep down inside, it matters to us that we're failing on a kind of a personal level. And I think I feel that with this character. Yeah. I'm impressed we spoke so much without just like focusing on Daniel Henny. <laughs> All right, so maybe so let's maybe uh, rewind a little bit. I mean, we don't have um, to. I'm just like, are we gonna just talk about Daniel Henny the whole time? I think it's oh, important yeah. to. I think that's not the whole time, but you know, wherever this conversation takes us, because I think so much of our own awakening about the possibilities of Asian American entertainers working in Asia, I think, is connected with Daniel Henny, right? Kind of. Um, yeah. <laughs> So first of all, let's just rewind. I remember the exact moments when this was revealed to us. All right, so let's rewind to 2006, perhaps. Do you still remember when you first saw this beanpole commercial, Gwyneth Paltrow and some guy named Daniel Henney? I do. What, do you want to speak about this? Um, 
I've like actually explained this to people multiple times before because I just happen to have a project called Haikus with Hotties where people ask me a lot about hot Asian American men <laughs> as if I'm supposed to know something about it. And to be honest, I'm not really an expert. It's just I notice things just like everybody else noticed things. You know what I mean? We've been covering Asian American entertainment for a long time. So we noticed that there weren't a lot of portrayals of very hot Asian American men in Hollywood, whereas there were a million portrayals of hot Asian men in Asia, right? And at Asia Pacific Arts, the magazine that we both worked at, we covered both Asian American entertainment and Asian entertainment. So we're very aware of the disparities. And there was a commercial with Daniel Henney and Gwyneth Paltrow. And it was like these 30 second commercials of them just sort of like having meet cute moments. And it was for this clothing company called Beanpole. And I don't, I mean, I remember watching it and I probably just showed it to everybody. This is like the very beginning of YouTube. I mean, and this shows how I'm not really an expert because I'm not sure if that was before or after he became a big star in Korea, purely based on his hotness because he, um, I did a, (laughs) sorry, I did a cover story (laughs) on Daniel Henney for Shanghai Calling for the Korean American magazine, Koryam Journal. And side note, it was really long. And when my editor assigned it to me and I gave her the copy back, she kind of joked, is there really that much to say about Daniel Henney? <laughs> because it was pretty long. And I was like, I think so. But if you need to cut it, cut it. And she didn't cut it. Because <laughs> it's like actually a really interesting story. Like he goes to Korea. He gets a job on this Korean drama, my lovely Sam Soon. And he thinks it's just going to be a short job because the way that Korean drama shot at that time, it was very quick, right? It wasn't like American television where, you know, you shoot something and it doesn't show up until months later. Like, he shot this role. He thought he was going to be in Korea just for a little bit and come back. He literally packed for, like, a couple months. And then what happened was, like, he showed up. He doesn't speak any Korean, but it's just a very popular drama. And he shows up, and people are like, who is he? And they end up having to, they end up keeping him for the whole show because he just causes such a frenzy amongst Korean drama watchers, which, you know, it's a lot of people. (laughs) And this is his first acting role. He literally barely knows how to act, which he like sort of admits. I'm not like criticizing him. He's like, I (laughs) don't know how to act. (laughs) Like he has to figure out how to act. But that's sort of an example of like the power of hotness <laughs> in visual media like film and television, right? So we have this guy who becomes a star, the Korean American from Michigan who becomes a star in Korea purely based on his and he's hotness. mixed race too, we should we should mention. He's mixed race, yeah, he is. So anyway, I don't know if that happened before or after the beanpole commercial, but I think I it was the same year. I don't I don't know if it was before. Okay. So that was around the same time that he also did this beanpole commercial with Gwyneth Paltrow, which I guess as an American viewer, maybe the Gwyneth Paltrow entry <laughs> you know, the Gwyneth Paltrow commercial reached me faster and I was just like, Oh my gosh, this is like one of our biggest stars. She dated Brad Pitt. <laughs> and you believe that she almost married Brad Pitt and now she wants Daniel Henney. Like, I think that's so powerful, and that's just something that we have had never seen before at that time. And it wasn't that long ago, right? 2006. So I think for us as Asian Americans, I'm like rambling a long time. But oh, no, this is, but, this, is your, this is your stick. Do it. 
for us as Asian Americans, we look at that and we know there's a history of Asian Americans wanting to be in entertainment. We're, I'm mostly talking about in front of the camera. Asian American actors wanting to act but not having any opportunities in Hollywood. So they go to Asia. So people like Daniel Wu, right? Maggie Q. Because um, that's where there's more opportunity, right? But now, you know, or even in 2006, when things were changing a little bit and you had this hope, we were like, well, when are they coming back? You know, <laughs> like, when are they coming back? Because, like, when's Hollywood going to realize there are these, like, really good-looking actors who speak English because they're Asian-American, and you should bring them back, cast them in, like, big Hollywood movies, and then you can appeal to both American audiences and Asian audiences. It just seemed so obvious for us, especially when you have someone like Daniel Henney that Gwyneth Paltrow can fall in love with in, like, five seconds. <laughs> so... I mean, I feel like because of this haikus, hotties thing, like, it's hard for me to really say seriously anything about hotness that doesn't sound stupid. But in some ways, <laughs> I do think this is, like, a serious thing. Like, I don't, I feel like when I talk about Daniel Henney and when I talk about hotness and hot Asian Americans coming back to America and breaking this glass ceiling like I actually mean that in a way that I want to advance <laughs> the Asian American trajectory in Hollywood that has a lot to do with hotness but not in the kind of like the silly giggly way that most people think it is <laughs> that part's really fun too but that's that giggly thing is what makes superstars you know that's what that feeling of like you see someone on screen and you're like I want to see more of him or her exactly yeah that's what makes stars that's what makes huge fan clubs and the audiences have the power right so I feel like Daniel Henney has been kind of the symbol of like this is like a very obvious I should say at the time 2006 I don't know how obvious it was because he wasn't so much of an actor yet you know and I think people just thought of him as a hot guy and people didn't necessarily take him seriously as an actor and I think he would even say based on the 40 minutes I talked to him which is not I'm not saying I'm an expert but like I, I would say like yeah it makes sense he was just starting out as an actor it's not like he was necessarily a great actor yet but you follow his career he ended up like doing a movie in Korea called My Father which he showed that he could carry a movie, you know, and he won an award there. And then when we saw him come back and do a Shanghai Calling directed by Asian American director Daniel Shaw, and it's about an Asian American, and he carries that film, he's like a great comedic actor, right? There's definitely, I'm not saying this is a perfect film, but like you can tell from this film that he, he's a good actor, he's a good comedic actor, and he can carry a film. And that's not something you can say about everyone who's very, very hot. <laughs> you know what I mean? I won't name names, but... Yeah, he won Best Actor at the Newport Beach Film Festival, which is, I mean, not the biggest festival in the world, but people are noticing he's turning heads. And perhaps he's learned to channel his charm, which includes his looks, into a certain kind of actorly charisma. And I think that helps too. Yeah, and this character has an arc, you know? And it's true. I mean, I was joking before that he was a dick, but it's true. I feel like that was kind of a choice they had to make. And because it's sort of this character that's not super likable, but he has to be like that because you need to break him down. And he kind of pulls that off, you know? 
Right. I'm not saying he's necessarily like a Johnny Depp kind of actor where he can morph into like a whole bunch of different characters, but he can play that leading role, the leading man role, you know? Right, which is a type that Hollywood has, which is you don't have to act that well. You just have to look really good. And you have to know how to channel your, your looks into a certain kind of engagement with the audience. Yeah. It's a specific skill. It takes a certain kind of physicality to pull it off. And in the Asian American world, that's like Daniel Henney's the man. But that's why we've like traced his like career trajectory, right? I mean, yeah, part of it is that he's very good looking, but it's it, it is like a symbol because right now, so he's on. He got a role on a show called Criminal Mind Beyond Borders that was a spinoff of Criminal Minds, and then I think after a year or two that he got onto the main show. So he's now like, it, it's interesting. He's very successful in the TV realm because Criminal Minds is like a really really big show, right? But I feel like. I think he could do more. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, so if if our listeners, I mean, maybe you already know Daniel Henney. Maybe you already know what he looks like. Maybe you've already Googled his face while listening to this. I just want to share some anecdotes from when we played Shanghai Calling at the San Diego Asian Film Festival. When an order comes in for the film festival, we can see where the order is. And usually it's, you know, people who live in San Diego who are buying tickets. Did he come? With Daniel and Henny, we had people orders from Arizona. Like people <laughs> he came from Arizona. I think they were hoping he was gonna be there. He didn't come. But the Arizona person came and they were very happy to see him on the big screen. That's the power of Daniel Henny. That's like Beatles level. Maybe not in terms of the scale, but like in terms of the allure and what we are willing to sacrifice to get a piece of the star. That's what it's more like. So at our screening of Shanghai Calling, it was in a packed house, 400 people in this auditorium. And granted, it was really hot in there, <laughs> just like temperature wise. But for the, the only time ever in the History of Festival, somebody passed out in the middle of a movie. And we had to resuscitate her. And then she was like, all right, cool. I'm going back in the movie <laughs> right afterwards. <laughs> And it's I I have to believe it's Daniel Henney related. Both the passing out and the like not worrying what's wrong with me. I'm just gonna go back and watch the rest of this movie now. <laughs> I wasn't there, but I heard that at one of the unforgettable galas, which is like the big Asian American gala, um, he showed up and then he didn't ever want to come back because he got mobbed. <laughs> I, I get. I, I actually know, I can see why he doesn't go to Asian American events anymore because. They just want him too much there. But yeah, these are stories you hear about like like Michael Jackson's fans, like like back in the day. Yeah, and this was what, like two that two thousand twelve, which thing I call Yeah. It. He straddled this weird line where I think if you followed Korean culture, like he was huge. But like Americans in general didn't know who he was. I think Americans in general still don't really know who he is. Right. So I think he still occupies this place of like we have a secret love for him. <laughs> like a hey, um, I thought you were gonna say secret weapon. No, no, no we have it's like a <laughs> It still feels like we are in on something because you can't just go on the streets and expect everyone to know who Daniel Henney is. And for that reason, Hollywood still hasn't put him as a lead in a big feature. You can't greenlight a film with Daniel Henney. So for those who are his fans who clearly know his magnetism, we have a special bond. Yeah, we still think Hollywood's really dumb. Like Hollywood <laughs> hasn't caught up yet. Correct. You know? And it's not just because of hotness. Like there's more to it than hotness, obviously. But that should be a rather important part for industry that is rather superficial. And I don't think they hide the fact that they're superficial. So why don't we just take the most superficially bankable and delightful actor we have? Yeah, because he uh, got a role on X-Men a while ago, but it was very small. It's almost like I see it more as a missed opportunity for Hollywood. Yeah, I shouldn't. it's not that I think they're dumb. It's just, it's just something that I feel like is so obvious 
And then they're not making use of it. And you're just sort of like, I don't understand why you're getting in your own way. And that's the thing. Like, Daniel Hunter, it's like a symbol, right? It's not just him. I think that about so many Asian American actors. You know, like, what's his name? I see folks like Daniel Henney on Criminal Minds and like Manish Dayal on The Resident, right? And it's like, I don't want to, it's not that I am not happy that they're on these successful TV shows, but it's sort of similar to how I feel like a lot of people probably felt when Dev Patel, after Slumdog Millionaire, was on the newsroom, the Aaron Sorkin show, as like the fifth lead or something. A few years later, he gets cast in line and gets, like, Oscar nominations, right? And you're like, okay, that makes more sense. Like, a Dev Patel should be getting roles like Lion and getting Oscar nominations, not, like, having sort of, like, a bit part on, granted, like, a very good show with a very good writer, right? All of these people are doing very well, but it's just sort of like, hey, um... You know how there's like a whole bunch of romantic comedy, you know, there's like a new wave of rom-coms, not to like type cast Daniel Henney, but like, hi, cast Daniel Henney in the next hit Netflix rom-com. Just what what are what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for a good script? Like, <laughs> find a good writer. There's no good writers in Hollywood that can write an excellent romantic comedy for Daniel Henney and Kate Hudson. That hasn't stopped you before. <laughs> and it's like maybe Daniel Henney doesn't want to do that, which is fine. Yeah, he might not want to do that. He can but... do anything. <laughs> he can do anything. Yeah, write an excellent period drama for Daniel Henney. Okay, or write an excellent thriller. For Daniel Henney. I mean, come on. Just he can be a superhero. He's got the stature. Dude, I mean, Randall Park is in a superhero movie, and that's really, really great. But then just put Daniel Henney in another one. Or somebody else. <laughs> it all seems so easy to I us. I don't understand. It's, it's I think so it's going to happen. But all, all this like sense of a wasted opportunity, what could have been. And could still be. It still could and be. It could still be. Um, and, and, and that hope, I think, the hope that it could still be, feeds into this unofficial fan club of people who know, but... We also realize it's not mainstream yet. And then it also makes us realize that that's just how important Shanghai Calling is. That basically what we're asking Hollywood to do is make a Shanghai Calling for him. Like just on a much bigger scale and, and with a much bigger budget for marketing it. But Shanghai Calling is really it. This is a film of his that we're waiting for, yet it was made in 2012. And we're grateful that it was an Asian-American director who pulled it off. Working with one of the biggest Asian-American producers, Janet Yang, Movers and Shakers. Yeah, you should watch it. It's fun. It's one of the like easiest Asian-American films to just recommend to anybody. Yeah. Who wouldn't like this movie? Like, You don't have to know a lot about culture. Although, I think what we've been saying in this episode is that it comes from a perspective that I think is unique to a Chinese-American view of expat life. But that doesn't mean others can't identify with that. It's very accessible. And, and it's just like a, it's a sweet rom-com and a fish-out-of-water comedy. Yeah, and it, it's very easy to watch. You can watch it on YouTube, Amazon, Google Play. It's like two ninety nine. When you pay two ninety nine for this movie, it's not for Daniel Haney. It's for yourself, believe us. It's for yourself. It's for Asian-American cinema. It's for <laughs> a hope for a better future. We're being a little dramatic. We're recording this right after an election. So maybe that's why I'm talking like this. Daniel Henny for president. <laughs> but watch it. It's fun. We joke that like, Saturday School is like all about learning. <laughs> but it really isn't. It's about being moved. It's about laughing. And it's about discovering hotnesses. Hotnesses. Plural.
Saturday School is a proud member of Potluck, a collective of podcasts that feature stories and voices from the Asian American community. It's produced by me and Brian. Our theme song is courtesy of Rimsky Music and Premium Beat. Check out our website at SaturdaySchoolPodcast.com where you can find lecture notes and links to all the films we covered. Or you can tweet us. I'm at Ada Singh, A-D-A-T-S-E-N-G. Brian's at Who's Brian, H-U-S-B-R-I-A-N. And our podcast handle is Wake Up Set School. Next week is our last week of our semester on Asian Americans in Asia, so we gotta end it with a bang. Your assignment for next week is to watch two Bruce Lee movies, Big Boss from 1971 and Way of the Dragon from 1972. Class dismissed! You should check out a YouTube video called How is Daniel Henney So Hot? I heard it's pretty good. Was that a video that was shot at the LA Asian Pacific Film Festival, perchance? Yeah, it was, it's, it's, it was very informative.